Let's dive in uh, this morning. So we are obviously it's the week before Easter, and and we and this is exciting. We all love Easter. Easter's fun. Easter's celebratory. Easter is really really exciting, right? It represents the fulfillment of God's promise, right? Represents the, the 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 fulfillment of God's promise for for thousands of years. For thousands of years. Faithful men and women had waited for the Messiah, right? The one sent by God to bring freedom to God's people. And so we recognize that Easter represents freedom. It represents rebirth, right? Breakthrough, light instead of darkness, hope instead of fear, life instead of death. And so because of that, right, we, we all love Easter. We love what it represents. We love the joy of it. We love the excitement. And so when you come next week, right, there's all these upbeat songs. There's all these pastels that represent joy, I guess. I have no idea why, right? And we just had this beautiful dynamic going down, right, of celebrating Easter, celebrating that the cross is empty. Jesus has been raised, right? And it is this picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus having come to earth as the Messiah. But we're a week away, right? We're a week away. So the idea then is that we're still in a state of waiting. Now, we know, practically speaking, Jesus has already come, right? We understand that his presence is already here. But but as we come into this remembrance and the celebration of the cross, we recognize we're in this place, honestly, a place of waiting. That's the word that really defines for the disciples. Like literally, it's Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and they're like super excited, and then they're going, is this really it? Is this what we've been waiting for? Is the Messiah actually coming? Is, is this the moment, right? We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Is this the moment? Is this the, 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 the thing that we've been anticipating? So there's this, there's this hope, but they're not real sure because they're still in this stage of waiting. And you know what happens. You know they lose all their hope. A couple of disciples, man, they just took off and tried to go home, right? Jesus had to meet them on the on the road saying, hey, what are you talking about as you go? Have you heard about the Jesus who we thought was the Messiah? All their hope is gone. Peter, man, he just goes fishing. That's what he does. And much other guys. That's just what you do, right? All hope's lost. Let's go back to fishing. And so in this moment, they're in this place of waiting and anticipation and hope. And then hope's going to be crushed completely on Friday when Jesus dies. And then we know the rest of the story, but he comes, and so we celebrate. But in the context of our life, it's interesting because waiting has defined their entire life. And all of us understand waiting, don't we? Each of us have our own experience, our own stories of waiting. And just like waiting today, no one likes to wait. They didn't like to wait. Waiting is never easy, is it? There's all these things in our life maybe that we're waiting for and things we're believing God for and things that we're hoping for. And, and some of those things just aren't happening and we're waiting and wondering and, and we don't like it because we, no one, no one likes to wait. No one likes to wait. In our culture today, we understand there's one phrase that defines us. It's this idea of instant gratification. You want to buy something? Man, just go online. We'll be here tomorrow, right? You want to watch a movie? Don't go to the theater. Just log on somewhere and you can watch it immediately, right? You want a date? Just sign up online. Mr. and Mrs. Wright will show up in your inbox and you can take them out. Or for the kids today, just swipe right. Don't ever do that, right? You got this whole dynamic going down. The idea is simple. 
Our culture hates to wait, and anything that requires waiting, we hate. A.K.A. Walt Disney and their lines. Right? I mean, Jim Gaffigan said, it is like the DMV, except 100% humidity, right? It's awful, waiting in line. Go to Disney, that's why Disney, they, they, they pulled all the parents and says, what would make you want to come back? Like, faster line, so they created fast passes. We, it's, it's a big lie, it's a big hoax, they don't really work, right? But you have them if you want them to make you feel you're going faster. We hate waiting. How many of you had a cross, listen, you come into a red light, there's a crosswalk, have you ever jumped out and pressed the button on the crosswalk just to make the light change faster? Some of you have done that. How many ladies, if you're honest, you don't use the restroom after vintage at 12, 11 o'clock service because the line's too long. We get it. That's why we're building a new church for your bathrooms, okay? It's like we understand everybody hates waiting. We live in this culture. We're waiting. Man, we're opposed to it. We just don't like it. We like instant gratification, things here and now. But if you've ever read your Bible, I mean, and you don't have to read much of it. If you ever read your Bible, we know in the biblical story that waiting defines the story of God in people's lives again and again and again and again. Because it seems that God enjoys us waiting. It seems as if God is doing some work of maturing in the lives of his disciples through the waiting, right? That he's developing our spiritual depth, our fortitude, and possibly just growing us in maturity. I believe that it can be said personally that for us to be mature disciples, the ones that Jesus longs for, waiting must become something that we stop hating and become something we anticipate, anticipate and then embrace confidently. I want to say that again because you don't like me saying it. Jesus longs for us. To get to the point in our discipleship that we stop hating, waiting, and become something that we anticipate, and then when it happens, we embrace it confidently. There's something in the waiting that's powerful, something useful, something that God is doing in this. If your Bibles turn to James chapter 5, I want you to see this nature of the story that, that James begins to tell his disciples, his followers, those that he's writing about this need to wait or what's going to happen in their waiting. And let me just say this this morning. We are in a season of waiting. And so the idea is that I believe that, let me just, so just press pause. I want you to make it personal. The, my least favorite thing about Bible study is that you just say the Bible for the Bible rather than studying the Bible for application. Now, understanding the Bible is great, but if you can't apply it, it's useless. And so in the context of your life, there are things that you're waiting for. There are things that, that are struggles for you, ways that, that, that James' message, Jesus tells through James, right, that this message applies to your waiting, the situation of your life, the things that you're dealing with, the things that you're wrestling with, the things that, that you have frustration in. Because we all know, right, in waiting, that Jesus makes us wait a little bit longer or a lot longer than we usually want to. If you tell the story of us, we've been looking for land since before I knew you. 
I mean, literally, we drove up here, and as we were driving this area to see if God was leading us here, we were ran our talking about land and talking about property and talking about stuff, right? We've been looking and talking and praying for over nine years. People have left vintage because we didn't have our roots established long-term in a long-term building, right? Like, the first question we'll ask is, Hey, so are you going to build a land, build a, build a building soon? I'm like, no, we're not really adults yet, right? Still at the kids' table. I mean, that's what it feels like. People left like, ah, they meet in the storefront. That's just not cool, right? Isn't it funny? Churches build a building and they double overnight, which basically means people say, we didn't like your previous building because nothing else has changed about you. It's funny how human beings are, right? And so we come into the moment, right, of waiting. And it's hard. And you lose things and people. And so James is speaking to these types of people. He says in verse 7 of chapter 5, be patient, therefore, brothers and, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the former waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged before, behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, sisters, take the prophets. Think about them who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You see, in James chapter 5, this brother of Jesus sees the church struggling in the context of suffering. Jesus came. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus left. He left them. They had this, this beautiful explosion of the church. Then great suffering occurred. The great diaspora, the great dispersion happened because of, of suffering and because of, of, of people being beaten. The church is being persecuted, right? And they all spread out. And James is now speaking in the midst of their suffering. And they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, just come back. When are you coming back? When are you going to meet my need? When are you going to come and meet this, this urge that I feel, this brokenness, this place of healing, got this restoration. When are you going to come again, Jesus? And so James speaks into the moment. And what I'm going to say this morning is I'm not going to do this long, full treatise on the theology of waiting because it would be super, super long. But I'm going to give you the basics of James's message. And I'm going to ask you to go back yourself in the context of your own struggle with waiting and process this message yourself and process the things I did not talk about and process the things that I did not say. Because Jesus, listen, he wants to speak into your difficult moments of waiting. He wants to. In the context of your marriage, he wants to speak into it. You've been praying forever. He wants to move. You're in waiting. Easter's coming. Context with your children. Context with your spouse, with your family, with your neighbors, with your work. There's a waiting. It's overwhelming. It feels like suffering, and maybe it is. And so this morning, I'm going to give you basics, and you get to go back by yourself with Jesus and ask him to go deeper, to speak into your places of waiting and longing. So, the message, if I were to sum the whole thing up for you, of this little section, is James is looking at ones he loves, and with great compassion and listening, guys, just be 
patient and wait. That's what he's saying. It's real simple. That's the whole thing. Just be patient and wait in, hear this, the lordship of Jesus, the control and love of Jesus. You're not just waiting alone. That's the picture I had this morning on worship. In waiting, as we talk about this, we feel like we are alone and Jesus knows confidently that he's with us. Right? Like we feel like we're waiting alone, but he knows he's waiting with us. And so the tension we have to wrestle with him when he says be patient and wait is we have to add with the Lord because he's always with us. And that's why waiting seems so hard because we don't think he is. So let's through three takeaways this morning that we can see really clearly from James. Number one, learn from those who went before you who waited and succeeded. Right. Learn from those who went before you, who waited and succeeded. In verse 10, James says this as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets as an example who spoke in the name of the Lord. Do you realize the first prophet foretold of Jesus coming in 1450 B.C.? Moses foretold of a prophet like him and says, it is to him that you shall listen For over a thousand years, prophets foretold and waited, foretold and waited, foretold and waited, foretold and waited, and he never came. And every hearer of James says, and you call those people blessed because in the foretelling and the waiting and not turning away, we call them blessed. We see in verse 11, it says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We don't use that word, but it means unwavering, unwavering in their waiting, resolutely dutiful, doing what they were called to do, being obedient to Jesus, walking with him, walking with God, being obedient, following him in the midst of foretelling and waiting and then him never coming. It's this beautiful picture and he's saying to them, listen, you honor and respect them. Don't miss that. Learn from them. Learn from their model. Learn from their life. We're going to look in a second, but the idea is we know that they were strengthened by God. That's how they were. They could do their own strength, right? They were strengthened by God, but they were able to remain strong as they waited with God. And so he's saying, think about them. Don't lose sight of them. Think about them, and this is the life. Learn from them and desire to emulate them. Think about it. We all celebrate people. There are people that you look up to, people whose lives you want to emulate, and who against all odds, they press into difficult situations, waited for answers, they waited for breakthrough, they sometimes never saw it, right? They never saw what they prayed for and anticipated, yet they remained resolutely dutiful in their faith. And you love telling their stories. And James is coming saying, don't forget them. This is your model. This is what your life is to look like. It's a beautiful picture for us. Look at them, learn from them, and emulate them. Takeaway number two, he tells some story about farmers. Now, most of you aren't farmers, but most of them understood farming. They understood how the seasons worked in the context of farming. And so he says to them, the lesson here is waiting. The lesson he's telling them very clearly. I'm just going to read this part real quick in, in whatever verse it is. It says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it 
until it receives the early and the late rain, so do you also be patient. He says, a story of the farmers learn from them. The lesson here about waiting is that we, listen, the lesson about waiting is that there's always a responsibility that we have, and there's always a responsibility that God has. God's expectation is you do the things you're supposed to do, and his expectation is that he'll do the things that he's supposed to do and not you. It's real simple. There are things that he calls you to do, and then there are things he says, I've got this. The farmer has a responsibility to prepare the soil. He has a responsibility to plant the seed. He then has to exercise trust and faith that the rain will come. The farmer has control of one part, and he has zero control of the other. We must learn this lesson about life. God puts us in circumstances and we have steps and actions of obedience that we must take. Then after that, there's a part that all we can do is just wait for God to do his part. Again, putting it back in a real simple thing, not a real overwhelming thing. Our land piece for nine years, we just waited, right? We did our part. We talked to real estate agents. We drove around. We prayed, right? We did the things that we could do. Jesus wasn't going to drive our car for us, right? No, we drove around, we looked, we prayed, we talked, we did vision shaping, right? And then we said, but God, there's this part that we can't do. You have to do this. And I'll be honest with you, along the way, I tried to get behind the steering wheel and drive, and I just ran us off the road, right? No, he could only do it. We had to trust him. He only could lead. He only could direct. And so here's what I want to say to you this morning, and hear this. This is important. In the context of our waiting, 99.9% of our time, our frustration is birthed out of our inability to control and make God do what we want him to do. That's where frustration comes. In the context of our future, the things that we're praying for, the things we're desiring of God, we get frustrated. He doesn't make us frustrated. No one can make you get frustrated. You choose frustration. Why do you get frustrated? Because your expectations are met. God didn't meet you and do what you what you wanted him to do in the time you wanted him to do it. Your frustration is because you have no control because he has to be. Your frustration is a gift to you to point you back to your need for him. He's in control. You're not. We're not. We struggle as human beings because being without control, what does it do? It scares you scares you. And so we climb up on the throne where God's supposed to be and says, I got this. John Oswalt, past president of Asbury Seminary and the father of Peter Oswalt, one of our church planters, said this. It's on the screen. Waiting is very difficult for most people for it is an admission that there is nothing we can do at the moment to achieve our ends. Yet that admission is the first requirement for spiritual blessing. Until we have admitted that we cannot save ourselves, God cannot save us. Isn't that the nature, right? God woos us. He calls us to himself, and we have to respond. And what do we do when we respond? We confess, I can't save myself. My works can't save me. Only you can. I can't control my spiritual life. I can't control my salvation. Only you can. So we do. We submit ourselves to his leadership and his lordship. And at that point, his saving grace comes and moves into our life. And the idea is same here in our lives, right? As we, as we try to control, as we try to lead, God, he lets us. He lets us. He says, all right. 
Right? He's a good father, so he puts boundaries up. He's like, if you want to, if you want to be the Lord of your life, try it. Go ahead. See where it leads you. And so the nature for us this morning is we have to learn from the farmer. We have things that God's called us to do. We have responsibility in and that God has ultimate responsibility moving forward. And we have to then say, God, where am I having frustration? Which points to the fact that I'm trying to control my own life. And I have to then submit to him, repent, right? Turn away and say, God, you're Lord and you're loving and you're kind and you're the leader of my life. The third takeaway is establish your heart. That's what it says. So it says in verse in verse eight, it says, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Takeaway number three, establish your heart. The Greek phrase literally means to strengthen your hearts. It means to strengthen your heart. He's telling them to be strong in the inner man, to build a build a solid support on the inside so that nothing from the outside can sway them when the storms come and the waiting In the waiting, the nature of waiting is that storms come. In the midst of waiting, it's hard. In the midst of waiting, you have to die to self and your desire to control things and make things happen in your own strength, right? You have this tension, so this this happens. Paul says the same things in Ephesians 6. says, listen, when the day of evil comes, clothe yourselves in the armor of God. Build up your spirit man. Build up your inner man. Build yourself up, right? Spend time with Jesus. Grow in faith. Grow in peace. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Grow in your understanding of who he is as Lord of your life. Come to know him. Come to trust him. The building of your inner man is that, that you are literally getting to know him so well that when hell breaks loose, you don't see hell. You just see Jesus. Do you see him that well? Do you know him that well? Have you built up your inner man? How do you build up your inner man? You don't. You sit before Jesus and let him build you up. That's what happens. As I look upon him, I grow. I could tell you all, listen, I could tell, listen, mm, I could tell you all day long to go read your Bible and pray and you won't grow if you try to grow, if you try to do that in your own strength. Reading your Bible and praying only matters as you come say, Jesus, I'm coming to let you grow me as I spend time with you. Praying and reading your Bible will not grow you spiritually if you're trying to grow yourself in your own strength. Having a good, quiet time in your own strength is not going to lead you anywhere. You have to submit yourself to Jesus. Say, lead me and guide me. Grow me because I need you. Clothe me with your armor. Clothe me with your spirit. And as it says, and then Paul says this, and then when the day of evil comes, now clothed in the armor of God, stand in the face of the enemy. And then after all has been said and done, continue to stand. Build up the inner man. How? By spending time with Jesus, by learning about him, by knowing him, by trusting. Listen, what happens when waiting happens longer than you want it to? You begin to question if God is good and if he's faithful. But if you already know he's faithful, you won't have to question. Don't you love that he uses Job as the example? There is no one in the Bible that you want to identify with less than Job, Right? <laughs> I mean, even Jesus, this man just suffered for a week and then he died, right? Job could have been to 40 years. We don't really know. No one wants to be like Job. But James comes and says, hey, consider Job, who you call blessed because of how in the midst of hell breaking loose, literally in every facet of his life, he never sinned and walked in obedience to God. He was honest with God. He struggled. 
There was tension. He got frustrated along the way, right? But never sinned against God. And he goes, James goes, Here's the, that's a great model for us to consider when we're in the midst of waiting. And we go, that's great, but not me, Jesus. The key for waiting for James is an unwavering knowledge of Jesus, a confidence in his love when everything else tells us he's not loving us, a trust that God's in control when seemingly everything else in our life is controlling us. We just believe and trust God. This morning, here are the things. We all, we're all waiting for something. For some of it feels like, for some of us it feels doable. This waiting seems doable, yet for others of us it seems overwhelming like we can barely make it. It's, it is to you this morning that Jesus, through what we see in James, says, remember the stories of faith. Those who waited on God, never forget them. Emulate them. Go read Hebrews chapter 11 this week. Read the stories of faith in these great men and women of God who did crazy and amazing things for God. And see God saying, the writers, who the writer is, say, man, these people are amazing. They're blessed. Remember the farmer. Figure out what things God has given you control over to do. And then once you've done your part, then relinquish control and sit back and wait for Easter to come. Wait for the rains to come. Say, God, now we sit back and we wait. God, do your thing, Jesus. We just want to, all we're going to do now is get to know you. Warren Wearsby said, we can never obey God in our own strength, but we can always trust him to provide the strength that we need. The sign of trusting self is fainting, falling, and failing. But if we wait on God by faith, we will receive strength for our present circumstances. We can never obey God in our own strength, which leads us to the third part. Strengthen your inner man. Sit with Jesus. Grow in your love for him. Learn about him. His faith was his compassion, his power, and his mercy. Embrace the truth of Isaiah chapter 40. It says, even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We love this idea, right? We love this picture. But we recognize we can't mount up with wings like eagles. We can't run and not grow weary. We cannot walk and faint unless God renews our strength through waiting. So I was right in the beginning. There's a maturity that occurs in the context of waiting that can only have growth and maturity happen when waiting happens in our lives. It means that waiting is an incredible gift of Jesus to you. It's not Walt Disney. It's not the DMV. It's a long process of waiting. And then all of a sudden that moment when we've strengthened our hearts and we look up and go, Jesus. And he's like, oh, you've been with me the entire time. We can do this. We can wait. Someone once said to me in praying for revival, said, Steve, are you willing to pray for revival even though you may never see it? And I had a toast torn. I'm like, oh. But yes, God, I'm willing to pray. I'm willing to pray for someone's salvation until, until I pass on. I'm willing to believe God for miracles, even though I may never see them. I'm, believe, I'm willing to believe God and pray nonstop, incessantly, never giving up, even though it's really hard, because, God, you're good and you're moving. 
And so James simply just comes and says, be patient in the waiting, because you're never waiting alone. And he promises, he says, because guys, oh my gosh, he's coming. The judge, the good Lord, the king, he is coming. Easter is coming. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we sit in this moment, talking about waiting and our insides are like, I hate waiting. Lord, I pray that you would make us more biblical than cultural in Jesus' name. God, would you make us more biblical like Elijah, like Elisha, like Moses, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like David, like Obadiah and Amos, on down the line, like Daniel. God, would you make us like Jesus? Would you make us like the apostles? That, God, we could wait, not lose heart. And then when the day of evil comes in the waiting, we could stand because we've been clothed in the armor of God, which is birthed out of our knowledge of Jesus. That's what First Peter says. We have been given everything that we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. To be strengthened in our man means to know you. And we confess this morning, Jesus, that we are really bad at knowing you. We're not good at slowing down. We're not good at making time. And I pray today, Jesus, that you would quicken our hearts to slow down to be with you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. This morning in response. So if you've never been here before, we take some time and we have a time of response. Harvest leads us in worship and we're going to worship. We're going to have ministry teams. We're going to go ahead and come forward right now. They're going to be on both sides. And these ministry teams, beautiful part, it goes on. And, 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 and James, I think it was verse 9, says, now don't grumble against each other. And the point that he was making in the grumbling was don't live at odds with the people that you need Hear this. Don't live at odds with the people that you need to come alongside of you in your waiting. Because we're actually waiting with Jesus and we're so unified with the other brothers and sisters that we're waiting with them. They're waiting for it with us. And so ministry teams do that. They come alongside and, and they just pray for you, coming alongside. Because they have had to wait too and they know how hard it is. And they want to pray with you with empathy and compassion. Whatever it may be. If there's anything else going on in your life you want prayer for, if you want healing, you want restoration, you need breakthrough, they want to pray with you for those things. We have offering baskets here and an offering box back there and a giving kiosk and an iPad out front. Why? Because we believe in worshiping through the, our tithes and our offerings. And this is the time that we do that. So you come as the Lord has directed and led you. We have communion available every Sunday. Why? Because we believe in Easter. We believe Jesus came, we believe he died, we believe he was resurrected, we believe he sent his spirit. We believe in the good news of Jesus. This is our remembrance. But it's not just a remembrance so we can look back, it's a remembrance to know it's active and it's real for you today. As I take communion, I celebrate that his body and his blood are still present for my healing, for my salvation, for my restoration every day. So receive that from the Lord. All right. It's exciting stuff. As you leave today, there's going to be a, a night quite yet. There is a, there's a rendering, a big printed out document of our new space.
man, we celebrate what God's done. We celebrate what he's doing. We celebrate that he answered that prayer, right? Our timing, the timing was right for us. And I don't know about you, but I always want to be in God's perfect timing. So you celebrate that as you walk out today. So let's worship for a song. I'll come back out in a minute and pray us out. So let's respond as the Lord leads.